Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. We need to have a talk today. Yeah, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Let's have a bit of a conversation. So one of my favorite baseball players is Ted Williams. I think it was 1941, he batted a 406 batting average, which I think that's probably the best batting average in any single season. And what Ted Williams only came to discover later that what he saw, not everyone was able to see. He had such an acute eyesight that he could see things that others couldn't. And in fact, he was trying to teach a young rookie how to hit a baseball once. And he said, all you got to do is you're making this far too difficult. Just look at the way the stitches are turning on the baseball, and that will tell you how to hit it. And if you don't know this, that when a baseball is thrown from 60 feet, six inches away, and it's moving 90 to 100 miles an hour, you don't have time to look at the stitches. But he could see the way the stitches were turning on the baseball, and not everyone had that same acute eyesight. So there's a couple things I want you to see this morning, and it's not because God is moving too fast, it's because we are moving too fast. We are moving way too fast in life to see some things that are happening, things that are around us, things that we need to pay attention to. One of the first and foremost is who God is and how He chooses to have a relationship with us. And this is going to play into Hebrews chapter 8, which we're going to read here in just a moment. You can turn there if you want to. But in the old covenant, in the old days, if you wanted to meet with God, here's what you did. You went to the temple in Jerusalem because it was in the temple that God's presence would dwell. And you would talk to a person. He was the priest who would connect you with God. So you went to a place, you talked to a person, and then an offering was made, a sacrifice was provided to cover your sins. So you had a place, a person, a provision. So that was the older way of relating to God. And the new covenant is the same but yet completely different. Because as you read the pages of the New Testament, Jesus is presented, get this, as the temple. He is presented as our priest, which Hebrews is heavy on that. And he is also our offering, our sacrifice. That Jesus is the temple, it's in Him the fullness of the deity dwells. So if you want to meet Jesus, or you want to meet God, you go to Jesus. Jesus tells us everything that is knowable about God. Jesus is our priest. He is the one who connects us with God. We don't need any other intermediary. And Jesus is our sacrifice, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. So it's in Christ and only through Him that we meet and know God. But often we move too fast to truly see that. We need Him. Random question, how many of you have ever been, and I hope nobody raises their hands, how many of you have been to Dollywood before in your life? Why are you giggling and laughing? I don't see any hands go up. Let's take a church trip to Dollywood. Why not? Okay. Like we did, (laughs) there's two people clapping. It'll be me and two other people going to Dollywood. So Dollywood is an old silver dollar city that was kind of reinvented. And when it was recreated as Dollywood, rechristened as Dollywood about a dozen years ago, Dolly Parton did something that's very, very interesting. She recorded a song 
and it was placed in a time capsule at the entrance of Dollywood. And some 30 years from now, or 30-year anniversary of Dollywood, when she's 99 years old, they're going to crack open this time capsule and take out this song that Dolly Parton recorded, probably by then, uh, you know, who knows, but she probably will have passed away by then. And she says, it's such a good song, it takes everything in me not to sing this song right now because it is so good. So get the potential of this. After Dolly Parton dies, she'll still be producing music. How about that? One lifetime is just not enough. So Hebrews chapter 8, what the writer does is he goes back to the book of Jeremiah and he pops open this time capsule and he takes out a song that has all but been forgotten and he says, slow down and listen to the music for just a bit and see the way God relates to his people both through the old covenant and the new covenant. So this is Hebrews chapter 8. Allow me to start reading in verse 8. The days are coming declares the Lord. Let me pause right here. Three times in this song, it uses the word, declares the Lord, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. Whenever in Hebrew you see something in triplicate, that is a Hebrew exclamation mark. Like Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a way of emphasizing. God is saying, I want you to listen to me because I really, truly mean this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Now, we just talked a moment ago about the old covenant, temple, priest, sacrifice. Same thing, the new covenant, but all of that is condensed and contained in Jesus, temple, priest, sacrifice. There is coming a day of a new covenant, and get some of the characteristics of this covenant. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Why is this important? If you know Hebrew history, for most of the Hebrew nation's history, they were at civil war with one another. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Since the days of Solomon, they were divided and they warred against one another, meaning that when this new covenant is established, among other things, we will find peace with other people. Do you know that there's not one kind of cannibal, but there's actually two kinds of cannibal? You think, where did that come from? <laughs> I love making those hard transitions because it gets your attention. There's endo-cannibals, they only eat their friends, and exo-cannibals only eat their enemies. So if somebody asks you what you learned in church today, there it is right there. But you know what? Don't we do the same thing? I wonder what kind of cannibal you are because we… Listen, we chew on each other, don't we? We do. Sometimes we, we like to chew most on our friends. We're real nice to their faces, but then we see what they post on social media or behind closed doors. We really talk about everything we don't like, and maybe you are just in this category of you chew on and you devour your friends, or maybe you love to consume your enemies. People who don't agree with you, maybe they're Republicans or Democrats or liberal or conservative or whatever labels that we use in our polarized society, and they become your enemy and you never let them become anything else, and you love to smack your lips and devour them. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no place in our lives for division among people. 
that if even Israel and Judah can get along, then maybe Romans 12, 18 can become a reality in our lives. Romans 12, 18 says this, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's not always possible, won't always be up to you, but if it is, live at peace with everyone. So the gospel means that we put down our swords. But it's more than that. It's not only about a restored relationship with others, it's also about a restored relationship with God. There'll be a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. This is a picture of intimacy and intentionality that God took His people. And I would contend that the Exodus story in the Older Testament is really the story of the New Testament too. That God took people who are in physical slavery and delivered them and took them to a new promised land. God takes people who are enslaved by sin. Yes, it's a long journey, but our home is one day in heaven, and we're on this journey together. So just for a moment, I want you to remember the day that you said yes to Jesus. You can even close your eyes if you want to. Don't go to sleep. But if you want to envision exactly where you were, who you were with. For me, it was 1978. I was on my orange couch in Gallup, New Mexico. It was 1978. Every house came with an orange couch. <laughs> Reverend Long was sitting on one end. We were reading John 3.16, and that orange couch became holy ground. Where were you? Who were you with? What I really want you to recapture is, what did you feel in that moment? Not everyone has emotional experiences, but probably there was this sense of feeling close to God. And if you close your eyes, open them up. The same God is still here today. The same closeness that you had when your relationship started, that can grow and develop and increase over time. There's no reason to feel apart from God. He will take you by the hand and walk with you every step through life. This is the covenant, verse 10, that I will establish with my people Israel after that, declares the Lord. Now, I love this next part. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, is not just about going to heaven when you die. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is about character transformation. That our hearts and our minds, we actually begin to become a different person, one who is more like Christ as we progress through life. Here in a minute, I'm going to say some very honest things, so might as well just start right now. <laughs> I haven't been altogether truthful with you as to why I completely exited from social media. Part of it was just the um, unashamed self-promotion that's expected, especially if you've written a book, you have to really push and really put yourself out there, and I just never got comfortable with that. But the real reason I got off social media is because I became weary of seeing what people in my own church were posting online things that no follower of Jesus should ever say in a thousand years. And I'm not pointing the finger at you. I actually feel responsible for that because if I've been somebody's pastor for a decade or more, what am I not doing 
to help us become more like Jesus Christ, less hateful, less divisive, less selfish. And so I had to take a step back, and I've never gotten back on. Do we see that we're not just here to attend church? This is not about being a Baptist. This is about becoming, taking on the character of Jesus Christ every single day until he calls us to our final reward. And then, verse 11. We're going to get to five words here that I think are very important. Excuse me, I I missed part of verse 10. I'll put my law in their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord, because here are my favorite five words of this whole passage. They will all know me. What a great goal in living this life. And I don't know what your dreams and your aspirations are, but what a great goal that we would move through life and to say, I get to know God. So now here's where I want to have a bit of a discussion with you. And we're going to use those five words for the balance of our time together. Um, I was walking not too long ago and uh, walking through my neighborhood and crossed paths with a church member. And I could tell something wasn't quite right. We were both kind of beginning to stumble in our conversation. I thought, well, maybe something, something more important needs to be said here. And um, I said, listen, I know you're going for a walk, but oh, I got to tell you something. And I go, oh boy, here it comes. When somebody says, I got to tell you something, it's usually not good. I said, we're actually leaving First Baptist Tulsa. Um, so uh, my emotion there, by the way, we're going to have a serious conversation this morning, but I love using humor as well, because uh, how many of you were ever broken up with when you were in high school and college? Somebody dumped you, a girl, a guy dumped you, you got your heart broken, right? You know that feeling in the pit of your stomach? I thought that some of you are raising your hand more than once. I, <laughs> by the way, when, whenever they said, it's not you, it's me, it was you. I'm just saying, let's just dispel that myth right now. So, so I thought when I got married, I thought, great, I'll never be broke up again. Then I became a pastor, and I get broken up with all the time. It's that same feeling. I think, what have I done wrong? You know, it's, it's, it's me, it's not you. I get that all the time. For everything I could tell, this was the right reason, the person making the right decision. But then I I found myself saying this. I said, uh, listen, I'm going to pray for you as you go, but I'm going to ask you to pray for me as I stay. And I said, I don't know what it is, but something in our church right now is just not quite right. I can't put my finger on it. As I was saying this, I thought, you know, I'm saying to this to a person who's stepping out of the church, why don't I say this? to those of us who are here. And today I'm not looking for any answers, I'm just asking you to pray about this and ponder on this with me. There's something that's just not quite right and I can't put my finger on it and I think we need to ask God together what that might be. So here's what we're gonna do with the balance of our time. By the way, the goal of our church is that we all may know God. So the way I wanna spend the balance of our time, I wanna say a few things that here's what you can expect from me. Here's what I want to give. I hope you receive it. Um, I'm going to share some things that I would expect of you or that I'm going to ask of you as members of this church, and especially those of you who are on the cusp right now. I think this is an important discussion. 
Then I want to deal with a few dangers that I see right now being the church in 2023. And then I do want to end on a high point, okay? So here's some things that you would expect from me as I, as I try to be a pastor, and I'm still learning how to do this. Uh, I came across a study in 2010 that talks about being a pastor today, and it's not the most difficult job in the world, but it is challenging. To be an effective pastor, one must have 64 separate competencies. I read that and my left arm kind of went numb just a bit. I don't know how to do 64 things well. I can barely do four things well. And there's a lot of expectations put on a pastor, but if I were to set those aside and say, what does the Scripture say about how to be a pastor? If you're looking for a church, if you're looking for a pastor, here's what I offer. You will be prayed for. In fact, everyone who's a member of this church, you may not know this, but every single one of you is prayed for by name. If you're not a member, you're on your own. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's, that's a covenant that we make together that you will have somebody praying for you. And, and every now and then, some of you will get a note from me that you're prayed for today. Maybe something's going on, maybe not, but you will be prayed for. I think that's practically the very best gift I can give to you. The second thing that I offer to do is teach the Scripture. Now, why are these two things so important? Well, if I go back to the early church in Acts, um, the apostles were getting overwhelmed, and so they brought on deacons to kind of handle distribution of food, and they said this, we don't want to be distracted from prayer and the ministry of the Word. So I see that as the focus of the early disciples of, I will be praying for you, but also every time we're together, we're going to open the Scripture, and we're going to try to to discern what God is saying to us as a congregation and what He wants to say to us individually. Might not always hit a home run, but at least if we hear the Scripture together. So you be prayed for. You have my commitment that we're always going to stay close to the Scripture. And then finally, you will have a shepherd. So, we are moving to a world that's more and more digital. How many of you are concerned about artificial intelligence? Okay. You know what I'm more concerned about? Genuine ignorance. That's what I'm more concerned about. <laughs> that's the crisis in our world right now, is genuine ignorance, right? So, our world is shifting digital. I think and, and I'm, I'm willing to bet the next 10 years of my life on this, that what we really have a desire for is not something that's digital, but something that's incarnational. In other words, to put your hand into somebody else's hand. There's a connection that happens here that just can't happen in pixels. We don't need pixels, we need people. And so, as the shepherd, what I do is I offer you to pray for you, to teach, and as you face those moments in life, Please never insult me by saying, hey, Darren, I really need to talk, but I know you're too busy. Listen, if I'm too busy to shepherd you, I'm doing the wrong things. Never too busy. Might take a little time, but we'll find time to sit and talk together and discern together what God wants. I can't offer you much. I don't even know if I know how to do those things well, but that's what I want to do. Now, here's what I ask of you. If we're going to be at the church together, 
I would ask you to focus not on programs, not on events that happen, and all that's fine and good, but what we really need in our lives to be the church is to build relationships, and I would encourage you to build relationships that move in three directions. The first is up. That, that relationship we have to God is called worship, and I hope you sense the presence of God this morning. Again, I think our theology of worship is far too weak. We come in, we think we just sing some songs. Do you realize that here we get to interact with the face of God? And I've heard people say, oh, no, no, let me not do that. <laughs> let me say this. In my time of being a pastor, people who have stopped having a strong relationship with God have ceased to do two things, almost universally. They stop reading their Bible, and they stop being a part of worship. When people stop doing those two things, their relationship with God begins to fall apart. It was Dwight Moody who was talking to a businessman one day, and he goes, yeah, I, I can love God on my own, really don't need the church. And as they're talking, he's sitting in front of a roaring fire. Dwight Moody takes some tongs, reaches into the fire, takes out a hot coal, puts it on the mantle, or excuse me, puts it on the hearth. As it's sitting there, the fire is still raging, but that one coal grows cold and goes out. And at the end of all this man's fancy explanations, yeah, I... I need God, but I don't really need the church. He said, look at that right there. We need an ongoing worshiping relationship with God to stay on fire. Second thing I would ask of you, and by the way, why do we worship? So that we may know God. Second thing I would ask of you is build genuine community here at this church. I, I talked to a young lady after the first service who said, it was a perfect day for me to be here because right now in my life, I am, and she used that word, alone. I believe the greatest cause of mental illness in our time, and we're seeing it, aren't we? We're seeing mental illness do this, is because people are alone. Is it scary to be in relationships with others? Yes. Does it make you vulnerable? Yes. Is it a challenge? Is it a hassle? Yes. I went to a church a couple of weeks ago, I won't tell you the name, but it was South Tulsa Baptist. <laughs> Our friend Eric Costanza, my son, was speaking on, on that Sunday morning, so I went in and uh, several people I know at the church, and boy, it's awkward in your, when you run into former church members at, uh, at South Tulsa. <laughs> it's kind of like when you run into your ex-girlfriend at the movie and you go, hey, how are you? Fine. It was me after all, wasn't it? <laughs> no, people need to be where they are. Just, as long as they're going somewhere, right? That's what I keep telling myself. But as I, I'm walking to this church, I meet all the kind of weird people at South Tulsa Baptist. Weird people. And I tell my wife on the way home, I said, those people are weird, but every person I, I thought was weird reminded me of a person here downtown. I said, it's just, I'm just used to your weirdness, right? Listen, all people are weird. We're all strange. We all need each other, though. You don't have to be alone except by your own choosing. Relationships can be a hassle, but they're also life's greatest rewards. Get close to other Christians. Worship God. Have community with one another. Let's serve the world. As Christians, we really need to focus less on where we stand on issues. And by the way, that's, that's important. It's 
important to have personal conviction. But instead of telling the world where we stand, let's show the world how we can serve. Because once we serve, then we have the right to be heard. There's enough noise in the world. When instead of opening our mouth, we open our hands and serve. So here's a couple of dangers I see. And by the way, my commitment to you to pray, to teach, to shepherd, that's so that we may know God, that we may know Him. What I'm asking you, develop those relationships. This is what it means to be the church, that we have a worshiping relationship with God, true community with one another. We serve the world that we may know Him. Here's two dangers I see, and it's not fair to say two dangers. I listed out three or four dangers. I've just decided this morning only to mention two. Two dangers for this church. I hear people say occasionally, Darren, if you weren't pastor here, I wouldn't go to First Baptist Tulsa. That's flattering, but it's faulty. If the church is the bride of Christ, listen to that metaphor. If the church is the bride of Christ, it's the job of a bride to be enthralled with her spouse, with her husband. The job of the bride is to be enthralled with the husband, not to be infatuated with one of the groomsmen. Okay. If you're doing a wedding, if I'm doing a wedding, and the bride's infatuated with the groomsman, there's a problem. There's a big problem. It's our job to be enthralled with our spouse. That is Christ. Don't come to this church because you like the preaching. Don't come to this church because you like the music, all of that. Come to the church because here you may know God and you develop a worshiping relationship, community, the opportunity to serve. And if you can find that somewhere else, then maybe, I'm not trying to get rid of anybody, well, maybe one or two of you. Wait, wait. <laughs> If you can't find that here, go to a church that can, or stay here, plant your life, and say, this is the kind of church I want to be involved with, and begin to live that change. Be here because God has called you here, not because I'm here, because I won't always be here. The other danger that we face, and this one I do want to spend just a little bit more time on, you've seen it happen. I've never articulated it this way, but, but I need to. Oh, I forgot my tagline. Don't come to this church because you like the pastor. Come to this church so that you may know God. This other danger is one I want to spend a little more time on because I, I see it only getting worse with time. Um, in fact, I think it's going to continue to do this at least until the next election cycle is complete. So that's another way of saying buckle up. It's just going to get worse. I've always prided myself that I was able to hold together a church with people of varying views and opinions. We have people all over the social spectrum, all over the political spectrum, all over the theological spectrum, and I've always prided myself in being able to hold a group like that together. I learned that watching my pastor growing up. My home church is not the easiest church in the world, but my pastor was always able to hold people together. But as the last couple of years have ensued, those people who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum and the opposite end of social issues have grown wider and wider and wider apart. And right now, 
I can't hold it together anymore. And maybe I never should have been in the first place. All these tensions, the simplest way to put this is all the divisions that have existed out there have now found their way into the church with a vengeance. And to be honest with you, we've lost a lot of people on both ends of that spectrum, on the very progressive side and the very ultra-conservative side. Progressives say, I I can't be a part of a church that believes this, and, and the conservatives say, I can't be a part of a church that won't take a stand on this. And it's just getting further and further and further apart. But as I read the New Testament, and I don't know if I'm reading it right, but I think I am, that being a part of a church is not about being with a group of people with whom we stand in the same way on every issue. It's not about where we stand. It is about before whom we kneel, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a part of a church like that, I would invite you to be a part of this church because wherever you stand on the issues, if that takes priority, then that is called idolatry. We are called to kneel before Jesus Christ. So I ask you to make the decision. Instead of me holding this together, it really has to be the Holy Spirit holding us together that there are going to be some people you meet here, you go, I disagree with everything else that they say, but man, they love the Lord. And so if Jesus loves them, maybe I can too. All right, I'm about out of stuff to say, but let me, let me end it on a positive note. <laughs> Don't you wish more pastors would do that? That when they run out of things to say, they would just stop, you know? I've been a lot of sermons that would have been twice as good if they were half as long. And some of them have been my own. How about that? So it's kind of heavy, but I want to end on a really positive note because there is a note here as the writer of Hebrews takes out this greatest hits, this lost song of Jeremiah, that they may all know him. There's a part of that that has gravitas to it, but also there's a part of it that's very grateful that we get to know God. So I want to end on a real upbeat note. I want you to see this picture. Here we go, and I'm going to explain this as we go. This is a a runner, excuse me, this is an athlete. Her name is Jolene Bumquo. By the way, I only caught it after the end of the first service. I talk about Dolly Parton at the beginning, and we're talking about Jolene at the end. It's just kind of a nice bookend. (laughs) And if you've never heard Dolly Parton's Jolene, that's the first thing you do when you leave this church. So this is Jolene Bumquo. She's a runner for um, Belgium team. Excuse me, I keep saying she's a runner. She's not a runner. She's a shot putter. Her job on the Belgium team is a shot put. I believe she's seventh in the world, so she's really good at her sport. But there was a European game that took place in Poland uh, just about a month ago. And a team from Belgium was doing pretty well until it came to the 100-meter hurdles. And the runner for the 100-meter hurdles was injured. Her backup had been disqualified. So there was no one on the team to run the 100-meter hurdles. And the rules were that if any team does not compete in every event, then the entire team is, is washed out of the event. And so the Belgian coach said, we need somebody to run the 100-meter hurdles. And Jolene raised her hand. She said, this was a very difficult event for me. She said, I was not used to having every eye in the stadium on me. And so she ran against world-class athletes in the 100-meter hurdles. Of the 15 or so runners that took place, you know where she came in? 
dead last. Absolutely she did. But I love this picture, and here's why. I want you to look at her face. It's not about winning. It's about taking one for the team and doing what's necessary. And she has this look, do you see it, of joy on her face. This is probably the most joyful loser you will ever see right here, right? But win or lose, joy. Also, I want you to notice where her eyes are focused. Her eyes are focused on that very next hurdle. I don't know how many hurdles there are in a 100-meter hurdle event, but a lot, okay, more than I could probably handle. But you you need to watch the video because she takes them one at a time, one at a time. So I don't know what the hurdle is for our church yet, but I'm, I'm here to help us figure that out together. We're all here to, to figure this out together. And then to follow Jesus, to know God with joy. And whatever this next hurdle is, let's jump over it and let's get on to following Jesus and the way of Jesus together. And I wonder if maybe the hurdle that we need to get over is just saying this out loud and saying, remember what we're about here that we may know God, that we worship Him, we love one another, we serve the world in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray together. So we're not going to open up the follow-up room right now. What I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to pray, and uh, then we're just going to stand before God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit again and commit our life and our church to Him. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.